Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. This week in the United States, we not only saw the deadliest hate crime in the entire pandemic over the past year, what I believe is also the deadliest mass shooting over the past year. And in some ways, because all of us have been forced into our homes and so many businesses have been closed, it has limited the number of mass shootings. But here we are now that people are back and out and about. Sure enough, mass shootings and hate crimes which are both as American as apple pie, are back. And we can only imagine what that means for our future. But I want to spend today unpacking and explaining what happened this week as at least six Asian Americans in metro Atlanta were targeted and killed by an armed white man. And law enforcement in some ways has come to his defense, and I want to spend some time unpacking why that is. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. I had originally planned on using today to talk about something very different, but I would regret not spending today talking about the deadliest hate crime in at least the past year here in the United States, a a country where hate crimes and mass shootings are regular occurrences. In some ways, and I I had this painful conversation yesterday, and I just want to talk about this part of it a little bit. It can be hard to fully identify with the pain of cultures and communities that you aren't from. Like I am, and for those of you who know my story or if you've read my book, you know, like I'm a person who feels deeply the pain of other people. Uh, in some ways, it's both my superpower and my Achilles heel. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm an empath at heart. I take the pain of other people personally, but there is no pain like that visited upon your own community. There's no pain like that visited upon your own culture, upon the people that you may actually know. 
or who you love who, or who your loved ones may know, who your friends may know. For me, in a lot of ways, that was when there was a white supremacist attack on the church in Charleston. And many of my friends knew men and women who were there that were shot, were targeted, shot, and killed by Dylan Roof. And it wasn't just that I had connections to people in the room, but I, over the course of my life, my wife, over the course of her life, my family, we've been in those rooms. I was a pastor for many years. I've led small Bible studies like the one Clementa Pinckney was leading when he was shot and killed. I I know the type of men and women who were in that room because I've been in those rooms for my entire adult life. And so there was an instant identification. And not only that, but there's a degree of fear to say, if someone will do that to them in their church, might they also do it in my church or my friend's church or my family's church? And so there's a shared pain, a shared experience, a shared truth, a shared fear. And when you see calamity and tragedy and crime and violence visit other people around the world, sometimes when your culture may be so different than theirs, you may feel the pain in that moment, but it might not linger the way the attack on the church in Charleston did. And in many ways, as I have thought about this white man in Georgia, he's not from Atlanta. He's from a town outside of Atlanta. As I thought about how this white man deliberately went to multiple Asian-American owned and and employed businesses uh, in his town and across Metro Atlanta and apparently was on his way to drive to Florida to continue more shootings. In some ways, I had to to remind myself of how I have felt during other hate crimes where people that I most closely identified with were shot and killed. And it's helped me in a way to understand the pain, the fear, the hurt, the anger that Asian Americans are feeling today as they see people who might literally be from their home country who may speak the language that they grew up speaking, who may resemble or look like or reflect their loved ones, their their mothers, their grandmothers, their sisters, their daughters, who remind them of their own. And yet it's our job when people are harmed the way we've seen this week in this country. It's our job to to do a few things. It's our job to make sure people understand that this is also white power and white supremacy at work. We must not only call out the single perpetrator of this, but we must also call out the systems that um, that grow and nurture and now even protect this perpetrator that created this man, 
that gave this man the idea, as you may have heard, the police chief who we've now learned is uh, anti-Asian himself, is an open bigot himself. And not only that, but was also uh, apparently a a, a warmonger who worked for uh, Blackwater, uh, a criminal mercenary organization that was forced to shut down by the federal government. This man talked about how, this police chief talked about how the perpetrator had had a very bad day. And any of us who heard that were like, hold on. He had a, first off, he had a bad day? This man slaughtered and destroyed not only the lives of eight people, but their families and their communities and those businesses and, and, and sent reverberations around the world. And you're talking about the bad day he had? But again, that's because this man, the police chief, the sheriff, he, he, he understands the shooter. And in some ways, may it, you know, the shooter, to him, may resemble his family, his son, his brother, may remind him of himself. Whereas you and I look at the shooter and see nothing that we identify with. And, and so many of us, and even last night, even days later, my wife and I were like, this man really blamed this on a white man having a bad day? What? Because I've had bad days. Hell, I've had bad days this week. And I joked with my wife, when I have a bad day, I eat like a, a, a pint of, of Cherry Garcia Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, when I have a bad day, I watch too much television. So stop blaming this on a bad day. This, this man had more than a bad day. He had hate and bigotry and violence in his heart. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it that when white men have so-called bad days, that they shoot up churches, that they shoot up businesses, that they shoot up mosques and synagogues and movie theaters? Why is that? And it's a lot more than a bad day. It's a, it's a worldview. It's a dehumanization of people, particularly people of color and, and, and um, ethnic people of the world. But immediately you saw a degree of humanization of this man that I found deeply unfamiliar to the way I see black and brown people who are arrested for crimes, who are called super predators and monsters and, uh, um, you know, who are who are demonized and compared to animals. And, and all of a sudden, though, this young man who caused so much pain is given a base level of humanity that black people are never given. And not only that, but, you know, my first post was to say, peculiar, that this man, who was super armed, who had just slaughtered the lives of eight people. He was armed and very dangerous. And we've now learned, if you did not hear, that he did flee upon first being found. Like, he didn't just immediately surrender. 
but was arrested, this is a quote, arrested without incident. That's painful for all of us who have fought against police brutality for years and is flabbergasting to see because we can call countless names of black men, women, and children who caused no harm, literally had no gun, shot no one, murdered no one, yet were killed almost on contact from American police. It's disgusting. This week I have tried in in my own feeble attempts to just communicate publicly and privately one, a sense of solidarity with our Asian American friends. And I've tried to also speak out against just a base level of ignorance that I sometimes see from, um, f- from my own friends and followers. And, you know, I am not responsible for what everyone says on my Instagram page or Facebook page. On any given day, there are sometimes 50, 75, 100,000 comments from friends, foes, and enemies, and everything in between. And I only see a, a tiny fraction of those. I mean, I mean, I, I must see one-tenth of one percent of what people say. I, I, I don't linger in the comments. They're even painful for me in some ways. But we have to be careful that our friends, our family, and our followers aren't comfortable with their bigotry. And bigotry comes in many forms. And, uh, you know, I spent a whole, this was before this crime took place, I spent a whole episode just communicating like, hey, I'm standing with you against this bigotry and, and, and hate that you're experiencing. But we have to be careful that we don't foster it or allow it. And not only that, but that we do communicate to our friends, to our family, and just to our audience in general. Hey, that stuff's not welcome here. That ugliness is not welcome here. And um, I just want to express my sorrow and my grief to the families who've experienced this pain. I just posted on my Instagram early this morning the first picture of a victim that I saw, um, a single mother. And it reminded me of my mother. I was a single mother with two sons, and that was my mom, a single mom with two boys and two young sons. And I just thought of how crushed and devastated I would be if when I was just a young boy, someone had murdered my mother the way this man did. And for people who are saying ethnicity had nothing to do with this, lies. Two things and I'll close. First, um, Korean media outlets spoke to eyewitnesses who said he literally said he was there mainly to kill Asians. But not only that, you have to ask why did he have so little regard for their lives? See, bigotry is not just to say he is calling out racial slurs while he's shooting them. That's dumb. But you have to ask, what motivated him to do this? 
what caused him to have so little regard for their families, for their humanity, for their dignity, for their safety, for their future, that he was willing to, to destroy it and keep on moving. And, and this is a man who had time to stop and kept going to a new business. And then after he slaughtered more people at that business, went to another business and slaughtered more people and got on the road preparing to do it even more. Why did he have so little regard for those he killed? That's, that's the root of his bigotry in this moment. More will come out, but I, I'll close with this. I don't trust his words. So when I hear police say, well, he told us, oh, oh really, that's how this goes? That your, your view of him, you're going to allow him to, to choose how you see this whole thing? Because I didn't think that's how this went. Listen, I will continue to stand with our Asian and Asian American sisters and brothers here in this country and around the world. And uh, we must always fight against bigotry and white supremacy in every way that we can. If you are not yet a member of the North Star, please, please join us and become members. I'm about to write a new article for the North Star right now. But just know I love you. I see you. I appreciate you. Take care, everybody. And have a good weekend. Hi, this is Donnie Rose, Chief Content Editor here at The North Star, encouraging you to check out thenorthstar.com every day for insightful, engaging commentary on the stories that impact our culture. The writers at The North Star make it our mission to advocate, mobilize, agitate, and disrupt in the name of creating liberation-centered content. We unapologetically center the narratives of Black, Brown, and Indigenous people. We understand that you can get news from anywhere, so we are more interested in offering perspective that speaks to the experiences of our audience. We write freely and with freedom on our minds. We invite you to indulge in our daily editorials and engage in the dialogue that will change the world. It's the past.